Today's Bible reading is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, uh, but I'm actually going to be extending it a little bit. I'm going to begin at verse 19 of chapter 4 and finish at verse 7. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Righto, so uh, when I first started preparing for today's message, my, my initial thoughts were that for me to understand this better and for me to be able to explain it to you guys better, I'm going to have to pretty much stop thinking like an Australian sheep farmer and start thinking about in the, in the way that a, a shepherd in first century Palestine might have used to think. But then during the week, something actually happened that made me realise that modern shepherds in Australia today, uh, in some ways, are very similar to the shepherds of old, but in other ways, very different. Righto. So last time I preached, which is three weeks ago now, uh, we were in chapter four. And Peter was teaching us that it's normal for Christians to suffer, and particularly for Christians to suffer persecution. Now, because our society over the last couple of centuries has been somewhat Christianized, uh, we, we're not used to suffering anymore. Uh, we're not used to being persecuted, but that's an anomaly. And now that our society is becoming increasingly de-Christianized, um, Christians are once again becoming acquainted with persecution and suffering. But of course, in other lands, they've never been without it. And this very day, um, there are Christians who are suffering severe persecution and being imprisoned and put to death um, simply because they won't give up following their Lord. Now, I'm reminding us of this because we need to remember that we're reading a letter. And the problem is when we're studying the Bible, we tend to chop it up into little bits. And likes of today, we're only going to be looking at one paragraph today. But we need to remember that it's a paragraph of a letter. And so Peter, he didn't put in chapter and verse numbers. And so we sort of look at it and go, oh, end of chapter four, start of chapter five. It's going to be a completely new topic. It's not. He's talking about how the church lives in the situation where it's being persecuted. And if we don't connect this to the persecution that he's just been talking about, then we're going to miss out on some of, what he's, some of what he's trying to tell us. And I suspect that if I took this passage on its own, maybe 70% of us might be inclined to switch off 
because we've already discerned, oh, this is about elders. I'm not an elder. I don't need to worry about that. I might just have a, have a little bit of a think about what else I'm going to do and what I might have for lunch today. Uh, but it's not only for the elders. It's for the whole church. And it's for the whole church who are about to suffer persecution. Now, I love the way that the Apostle Paul at times gives us a picture of the church as a body. He does it in 1 Corinthians. You know, how, how we all have different gifts, we all have different ministries, but we together form one body. And the body is about to suffer persecution. And some parts of the body will suffer more than others. Uh, usually it's the leaders who will suffer the most. Uh, so that's not so good for me. Uh, good for you guys, perhaps. Um, but even so, what we learn about when, we, when Peter was, sorry, when Paul was telling us that, that the church is a body and if one part suffers, we all suffer, right? So it's about the church suffering. And, and in the church suffering, it might only be some few people, but the whole body suffers. And Peter specifically ties what he's teaching us today uh, about eldership to the context of suffering. By the way, out of the seven different Bible translations that I read while I was preparing for today, only two of them picked up on this, the English Standard Version and the original Greek. All right, so in the original Greek, there's a word there, un, I think that's how you pronounce it, that's how I pronounce it anyway, uh, which means so, or therefore. And that's why I, I had that started off that one verse earlier today. Right? So reading from chapter 4, verse 19, he finished off by saying, let those who suffer according to God's will, now that's going to mess with the theology of some, that some people can't accept that, it's, that God would ever be, can't ever be God's will for a Christian to suffer. Well, there it is. It, it is. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So, or therefore, I exhort the elders among you. Right? So because of suffering, because of persecution, I'm about to tell you something about eldership. You see, elders have a special role in the church because the church is about to suffer. And when a church comes under pressure, it's the job of the elders to shepherd the flock and to guard the flock and to keep the flock from scattering. But this passage isn't only speaking to the elders. There's instructions here for all of us. But before we go any further, I want to take a step back and ask the question, what are elders? What are elders? Well, the word elder, it, it, it could give us a bit of a false impression that we're talking about the old folk here. But the New Testament understanding of elders is that these people are the leaders of the church. They may often be older, but not necessarily so. They are the ones who have been recognised as being spiritually mature, of sound teaching, of good character, of good morals. They are men who love the Lord. They know the true gospel and they're able to teach it. And when it comes to eldership, we never decide for ourselves, I think I might become an elder. We don't choose that for ourselves. Um, elders are appointed. 
they're recognized by the church and appointed as elders. Now, unfortunately, in many churches today, elders are seen as managers or business managers. And, you know, in some churches, it's like the pastor, he casts the vision, and then the elders have to do all the nuts and bolts stuff to make the pastor's vision happen. Uh, Let me tell you, that's not at all the New Testament picture of either a pastor or an elder. The role of an elder should primarily be spiritual, pastoral, and everything that shepherding entails, right? So elders aren't necessarily the aged. They are the recognised and appointed spiritual leaders in the church. Righto. So Peter himself, he's recognised as an elder, and there's no surprises there. Um, After all, he was one of the key leaders in the early church. He'd learned a lot from Jesus, and Jesus had spent a lot of time knocking the rough edges off him. Uh, So there's no surprises there. And so Peter understands that he's addressing fellow elders. In addition to this, we know that Peter was an apostle. Um, Now, the New Testament condition for for apostles, apostles had to have been people who who had been eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus Christ. And that's why we don't have apostles anymore today. We have people with apostle-like gifts, and we might talk about gifts of apostleship, um, but we don't actually have anybody who hold the office of apostle uh, because they were the eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus. It was the apostle Paul scraped in by the skin of his teeth when he witnessed the resurrected Jesus there on the road to Damascus. He is blinded by that bright light. Um, so we now rely on apostolic testimony that's recorded in the scriptures. But Peter was a witness to the resurrection, but he's also a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And remember from a few weeks ago, he he told us that it's a glorious thing for us as Christians to suffer because that's the way of Christ. And I wonder what, what Peter would think of those many churches today whose main message is God will take all your suffering away when when Peter's just finished telling us that it's God's will for us to suffer as Christ did. But the fact that in this life, Christians may suffer, that that doesn't mean that being a disciple of Jesus is a miserable existence. He, He puts the suffering that we go through today into the context of eternity and the glory that we'll participate in on the day of the resurrection. Many people have this present day glory theology and you might recognise it when you see it. People are trying to seek to have glory now and I feel sorry for them. They're looking and they're striving and they're trying to achieve some kind of state of glory in their life, some state of glory in the church now And they're missing out on everything that God has planned for us. And they may even possibly be missing out on the glorious reward that we will have when Christ returns. You see, the pattern for us today is the same as as the pattern was for Peter, which is the same as the pattern was for Christ. The suffering comes first. The persecution comes first. And then the glory comes at the resurrection. 
And this is what we look forward to. We look forward to it with joy. Is anybody looking forward to the resurrection and being in glory with Christ? I think most of you have nodded. Yes, cool. It's easy to get people to nod when there's less of you. <laughs> so in this context of present suffering and future glory, Peter exhorts the elders. He's giving them something really important to do. And by the way, exhort, exhortation, that's not a word we use much anymore. When's the last time you had a conversation with somebody and you used the word exhort or exhortation? Probably never. People don't like that word, you know why? It's because you're telling somebody they have to do something and nobody wants to be told what they have to do. You see, exhortation, it's not a few helpful hints. It's not, it's not a friendly suggestion. It's an urging. It's an encouraging. It's an imploring. Do this, right? And he's saying, you elders, get on board with this. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. Do this. Don't neglect it. Make sure it gets done. But what does it mean? What does it mean to shepherd the flock of God or to shepherd the people of God or to shepherd a church. It's about oversight. Oversight, watching over. And there's two key elements to this. Leading the flock in the way to follow the ways of Christ and guarding the flock. And I guess this is where the difference between the way I used to shepherd the sheep and the way that shepherd used to be, shepherds of old used to function um, comes into play. We, the way I used to manage the sheep, um, well, we'd put them out in the paddock. Hopefully the fences were good. We had bad melon holes, so we were always having to repair fences and, and the sheep would want to push under the fence. But we'd put them out in the paddock and we'd forget about them. There's, there's grass out there, the sheep can eat the grass. There's water there, we'd check the water occasionally. and and that the water was there for them to drink. They'd, they'd look after themselves. And then when it was time we had to do something to them, whether we were going to jet them or mules them or drench them or shear or crutch or whatever, we'd go out and muster them. We'd take the motorbike or the horse, uh, motorbike if you want to do it quicker, horse if you want to be nostalgic, and, <laughs> and you'd, um, you'd muster the sheep in, you'd chase them to the watering point and then, and then force them through a gate into the laneway and then you'd chase them down the laneway to the sheep yards and then you'd push them from, from one yard to the next, getting increasingly smaller and, um, until you got them to where you wanted and you'd do what you wanted to do to them and then you'd put them back out in the paddock again. Forget about them all over again. But that's not the way a shepherd of old would work. The shepherd of old would live among his sheep. He wouldn't chase them, he'd lead them. He'd lead, they would follow. The shepherd knew where the good feed was, so he would lead the sheep to where the food was and the sheep would eat the grass. And he knew where the water was, so he'd lead them to where the good water was and they'd drink. Are you getting the picture of, what, of how an elder should function within a church? Not chasing the sheep, not lording it over the sheep, but leading and by being an example to the flock. Verse two, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, 
not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Eldership is pretty important. And it's a humbling thing to be a shepherd of God's people. It's a calling. The church recognises a person's spiritual maturity and godly leadership and appoints them as an elder. But if we're walking with God, we shouldn't feel compelled to do it. Oh, I suppose I have to do it. There's nobody else that's going to do it. I'll have to do it. Uh, that's not the way God wants us to be. God doesn't want reluctant servants. God wants willing servants. Not that we're desiring it so much that we put ourselves up there, I want to be an elder. But when the church recognises that, that you are being called to eldership and you're spiritually mature and that God could be calling you to this, then God is looking for willing servants. See, it, it's a matter of having a willingness to use our spiritual gifts that God has given us. And I want to encourage you, if the church recognises that God has equipped and prepared you to be an elder, the Lord is looking for a willing heart. This isn't something that we do for ourselves. Uh, there's often very little thanks in being an elder. There's certainly no monetary gain or, or reward. But we exercise this role willingly as God would have us. So what does this all look like in a church? It's the elders' responsibility to see that the church is led down the paths of Christ. It's the elders' responsibility to see that the flock are being fed and that what they're being fed is good, the true gospel and not a false gospel. It's the elders' responsibility to lead and they lead by following Christ themselves and by being spiritual examples. But it's also the elders' responsibility to guard. And this is where I, I was reminded during the week that, that in some aspects, sheep cockies today are still very similar to the shepherd of old. They're hardwired to protect the flock. So during the week, I was driving down the Mitchell Road and um, just near Dilkery Road, just before I got to Dilkery Road, a dingo ran across the road in front of me. And it was hardwired into me. I, I didn't even have to think about it. I automatically took my foot off the accelerator, started slowing down, reached across to grab the rifle, right? The rifle sits butt down in the footwell, leaning up against the seat. Reached down to grab the rifle, watching where this dog's going. And my hand closed over nothing. I was 30 years too late, you see. <laughs> it's 30 years since, since I used to be a far sheep farmer. It's 30 years since the Weapons Act made it illegal to carry a loaded firearm in a vehicle on a public road. Uh, it's 30 years since I'd had a gun sitting beside me on the seat, ready to go. But that was my natural reaction. I saw this dog running across the road. I'm reaching for the rifle, slowing down the car, ready and there's nothing there. I felt stupid. I felt ridiculous. 
but, but you see what was happening? It's still hardwired into me to protect the sheep. I see that dog and I've got to get it. And for the city folk who are listening and for our overseas listeners, don't think I'm a terrible, cruel person. Uh, dingoes are very dangerous for the sheep. They kill sheep for fun. Uh, they, they don't just kill them to eat them, they kill them for fun. But let's bring this back to the church. It's the elder's responsibility to watch over the flock and to guard the flock. And often it's hardwired into them. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Do you understand what that means? He's warning the church to watch out for people who are going to give them bad teaching for people who are going to make false prophecies. He calls them ravenous wolves, that they're wild dogs that want to tear the sheep apart, and the result is they will scatter the flock. And the thing is, most of us feel, oh, I'd never get led astray by somebody like that. Oh, I, I can tell a ravenous wolf, but the thing is, we can't. That they look like sheep. That's the whole point when Jesus said that they're in sheep's clothing. They look like sheep. They sound like sheep. But what they teach is destroying the church and scatters the flock. And in Mark chapter 13, he tells us how persecutions are going to arise and how at this time, all right, so think about how Peter's teaching us now. He's teaching us that persecutions are about to arise and therefore shepherds watch over the flock, right? And now Jesus, now we're looking back to something that Jesus told him in, in Mark chapter 13. Persecution's going to arise and then he says, false Christs and false prophets will arise to perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Now, how can that happen? People arise that can even perform signs and wonders, and yet they're leading people astray? Some people claim that, that the presence of signs and wonders is the evidence that a particular person is a godly leader. But Jesus is saying the exact opposite here. Being able to perform signs and wonders that isn't God's stamp of approval on a leader because e even agents of Satan can do that. And so we need to be discerning. How do we tell if somebody's a godly leader or if they're a false teacher or a false prophet? How can we tell if there's somebody that's acting in a godly way or if there's somebody who are going to lead the flock astray? Well... It's not by signs and wonders that we know them. It's by their fruit that we know them. And biblically, biblically, when we talk about the fruit, the fruit isn't things like popularity. I mean, Jesus told us that people would be drawn to teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. It's not about popularity. It's not about how big or how fast a church grows. It's it's not about how many people respond to a preacher's message or, or how big it grows because Jesus told us that the road to destruction is wide and many follow that road, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. 
the fruit that we look for in a leader or a teacher or a prophet is spiritual fruit. Not spiritual giftedness, spiritual fruit. A heart surrendered to Christ. A life that demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit, that, that the leader would have significant love, joy, that they have peace and that they're patient. They have a kindness coming from them and, and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and a humility and self-control. That's what we should be looking for in a pastor, in, 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 in any of our teachers and leaders. But something that I've noticed over the years is, is many people do get led astray, and easily so. Uh, many people are, are more interested in, in the new shiny thing or the popular spot or the popular teaching, and they don't test the uprightness of the leader or the integrity of the message. Some of the biggest names in the church circles today, uh, preachers of international re renown, some of them, the way they handle the scriptures, and, and I'm, I'm going to be really blunt and say twist them, it's abominable. Abominable. I can never say that word. Abominable. There you go. But when I want to say it, it goes abominable. Okay. And yet, some of them have thousands of local followers, and, and their influence touches millions across the globe. Why are so many people so easily led astray? Well, it's either because local elders aren't doing their job of guarding the flock and watching out for false teachers, false prophets, false leaders, or the rest of us are ignoring their warning. Elders, it's your responsibility to guard the flock. And I'm going to be quite open and say it's much more complex for us to do this today than what it was back in Jesus' day and back in, sorry, back in Peter's day. In Peter's day, it was limited to guarding against a false teacher who would arrive in town. And there he was in the flesh. And you could get to watch him and you could get to talk to him. And you could get to know him and you would very quickly assess, okay, what sort of person is this? And you would listen to their teaching. And you might only have one or two of these come in from other places at a time that you would have to assess and think, okay, what they're teaching is right. Church, listen to their teaching. Or, oh, don't listen to that. They're trying to lead you astray. Whereas today, um, the, the teaching that is available to us is, is enormous. There are many, many, there's a plethora of Bible teachers, um, some of them good, some of them bad, available on the internet and, and uh, Christian televisions and, and stations and whatnot. And it's getting harder and harder to be able to guard against this sort of stuff coming into the church. And to guard the flock, elders, it's our responsibility to guard the flock and get alongside the flock and, and to talk to people. Hey, what have, you, have, what have you been learning about God lately? How have you been growing? Who are you listening to? What, what are the teachers that you listen to? And then to guard the flock, we continually steer them away from teachings that appeal to the flesh and point them towards Christ. That's, that's all we have to do. 
steer them away from teachings that appeal to the flesh and point them towards Christ. So elders are like shepherds, but the metaphor gets a bit more complex. Uh, Elders, the shepherds, are also sheep because Jesus is the chief shepherd and elders, we should never put ourselves and we're the leaders um, because we're actually following someone too. We're following our shepherd, the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are answerable to our chief shepherd. Verse four. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You see, you know what I said before about we, we, don't look for, we don't look for a present glory theology. It's not about glory now. And there isn't a lot of reward for an elder now. But when Jesus, our chief shepherd, appears, that means he'll suddenly come back. When Jesus suddenly appears, there will be an unfading crown of glory for those elders who have willingly served God as he would have us. But I'm gonna extend that. It's not only for the elders. It's for anyone who would willingly serve God as he would have us. That's who receives the unfading crown of glory. You see, it's not about any kind of hierarchy here. The the, the pastor is no higher than anybody else. The, The elders are no higher than anybody else when it comes to receiving this unfading crown of glory. It's about those who serve the Lord willingly. Um, Actually, he then goes on to say eagerly without being compelled, right? That's, That's how God would have each one of us serve. God has given you gifts and he wants you to serve with the gifts that he has given you to use. And if we are eager to serve God, and why wouldn't we be? Are we eager to serve God? Not so many noddings of the heads this time. Are we eager to serve God? Okay, we've sort of wheedled it down a little bit. Some of, some of you are eager to serve God. You just know that if you nod your head that I'm going to come with a, with a job for you after church. <laughs> it's not so much about that. We need to be, have the attitude of so much thanks to God that we are eager to serve him. And with that, with that eager service comes this unfading crown of glory. Righto. So God's appointed shepherds and overseers are leading, guiding, guarding. But what good is any of that if the rest of us don't take any notice of them? Verse five. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, when he's referring to those who are younger, uh, I'm pretty sure he's talking about those who are less spiritually mature and newer Christians, but I'm also pretty sure that, that he does also mean the young. The young are often the most passionate Uh, But the young can also be the most easily led. True? Is there anyone who used to be young that agrees with that? Some of you, yeah, and I do. 
Um, if those who have been recognised as the spiritually mature and appointed as leaders, and if they are gently leading us and shepherding us in the way of Christ, do we follow them? Or does our pride sometimes stop us from doing that? Do we start feeling, well, I think I might actually know better. I know what I'm doing. Do we thumb our noses and go, well, you're not going to tell me what to do. You old fogey, stuck in your ways. This is just something new. It takes humility. And that's what Peter tells us, that, that the whole church, all of us, are to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. You know what that means? That means we have to put humility on. We have to do it. You know, when it comes to pride, sometimes we go for the cop-out. Oh, God's still working on me. Yeah, I'll be humble one day. Um, as if it's God's problem that he has to fix in us. But we've got a part to play in this. He tells us to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. Now, that that's, might be a bigger thing than what you think. It, it goes against the way most of us are wired. You see, in our culture, we admire those who stand up for themselves. We admire those who, who don't just do whatever they're told and, and they get to de determine their own destiny. We admire those who, who don't have other people lording it over them and making their decisions for them. Self-determination has sort of almost become something that we expect to be our, something that, uh, what's the word, defines us. But God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Does anyone here need grace? We all need grace. I need grace. I need grace from the Lord daily, day after day. Let's start with humility. To be a good elder takes a lot of humility. To be a functioning church takes a lot of humility. It's humility in all parties. And this, I believe, is a challenge for us as a church. Elders, clothe yourselves with humility and shepherd and oversee the flock. And to the rest of us, let's also clothe ourselves with humility and follow the way of Christ together with the elders. So... Next time we're going to be, I think it's two weeks' time, I'll be preaching again. And um, we're going to start off at verse 6. I just want to read verses 6 and 7 now. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And we're going to take that a bit further on in, in two weeks' time. And that's, probably going to, and that's probably going to be the last message to finish off the series on 1 Peter. But humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God 
so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the spiritual mature, mature who you have called to be leaders and shepherds of our flock, your flock. And Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins in his name and his coming glory. And we thank you for the unfading crown of glory that we will receive when he appears. Lord, today we wanna to pray for our leaders. Help them to lead us down paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Lord, give them the humility that they need to lead and give them a discerning heart and give us the humility that we need to follow godly leadership. Lord, we pray for the Christian church in this town that the shepherds would guard the flock and lead the flock. And Lord, we look forward to the day of glory when you return. Come, Lord Jesus, and when you come, may you find us being your faithful, humble servants. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>